We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go, episode 509 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Thursday, February 16th, 2023. It is Eric Bienemy Day. A happy Eric Bienemy Day to those who celebrate. The Commanders, they reportedly are interviewing Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bienemy for the Commanders offensive coordinator job. He was to have arrived in the Washington, D.C. area late Wednesday off the Chiefs Super Bowl championship parade and rally on Wednesday afternoon. And it just may be that the commanders will have the hiring of Eric Bieniemy as their offensive coordinator wrapped up at some point on Thursday. Commanders head coach Ron Rivera has told a friend of this podcast, Commanders insider Michael Phillips of Richmond.com, that Ron wants the team's offensive coordinator search done by the weekend. Well, we have Thursday, then Friday, and then the weekend. So unless there has been a major change to the calendar, sometime soon, the Commander's Offensive Coordinator search should be done. Hello and welcome to this Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Next segment, we'll get into all that's going on with the Commander's Offensive Coordinator search as it winds down as a welcome to the podcast. Commander's Insider Matthew Paris of the Washington Times is Eric Bieniemy, in fact, the commander's top offensive coordinator target. Would the enemy as commander's offensive coordinator truly be left alone by Ron Rivera to run the offense? What should we make of the commanders on Tuesday having interviewed former Baltimore Ravens, former Buffalo Bills, and former San Francisco 49ers offensive coordinator Greg Roman for the commander's offensive coordinator vacancy. Is Roman the fallback plan? All of that and some quarterback Sam Howell discussion and edge defender Chase Young discussion with Matthew Paris next segment. Also on the show, bad news for the Nationals. Yes, we on Wednesday, what was the day of the first workout 
for pitchers and catchers at 2023 National Spring Training in West Palm Beach, Florida. Got bad news on a pitcher, starting pitcher Steven Strasburg, for whom it feels like there's nothing but bad news now. Uh, I'll tell you the bad news and react to the bad news uh, regarding Strasburg, including extensive comments from Nats manager Davey Martinez. And we have college basketball to get into. We on Wednesday night had ACC road games against bad teams for Virginia and Virginia Tech. Number seven, Virginia grinded out a 61-58 win at Louisville, but Virginia Tech suffered maybe its worst loss of the season, a 77-70 loss at Georgia Tech. Uh, Hey, condolences to Capitals winger Alex Ovechkin and his family. Ovi on his Instagram on Wednesday morning announced that his father has died. Uh, The Caps on Wednesday morning put out a statement, quote, the Washington Capitals organization is saddened to hear of the passing of our captain Alex Ovechkin's father, Mr. Mikhail Ovechkin. Mr. Ovechkin was a true gentleman and was such a significant and consistent presence at Capitals games and practices. With a constant smile on his face, he loved interacting with our fans and expressing his gratitude for their support of his son, of whom he was incredibly proud. Our organization's thoughts are with the Ovechkin family at this difficult time, end quote. Uh, As you may recall, CAP Senior Vice President and General Manager Brian McClellan on Tuesday morning announced that Ovechkin was out due to dealing with, quote, a family matter and the health of a loved one, end quote. Uh, Ovi Percaps head coach Peter Laviolette on Wednesday morning left for Russia on Wednesday morning. Uh, Additionally, big news for Maryland football. Uh, The Terrapins head coach, Mike Loxley, he on Wednesday afternoon announced the hiring of Kevin Sumlin as associate head coach, co-offensive coordinator, and tight ends coach. Kevin Sumlin, probably a name that you recognize, extensive head coaching history in college football. He has been the head coach for Houston, for Texas A&M, for Arizona. When quarterback Johnny Manziel, yeah, remember him? Uh, When Johnny Football had that great 2012 freshman season that resulted in him winning the Heisman Trophy, it was Kevin Sumlin, who was Manziel's head coach at Texas A&M. Good to have you with us on this Thursday installment of the podcast. Always remember, we follow Washington, D.C. area sports so that you don't have to. It's a very simple arrangement. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Yasin J on the Masson dispute between the Nationals and the Orioles. Yeah, the Masson dispute has come up on this podcast a good amount lately, including with Barry's Verluga, columnist for the Washington Post on episode 500, and with Tom Lavero, columnist for the Washington Times on Tuesday's show, episode 507, writes Yasin, first off, I really enjoy your podcast about Washington, D.C. sports. Only complaint that I have is that you never talk about George Mason basketball on your podcast. No need to worry. <laughs> George Mason is having another bad season in a tough a-10 conference. Anyway, I want to talk about the Masson dispute involving the Orioles and Nationals, a dispute that the D.C. media, the learners, and you have not understood. All of you seem to not understand the main point of the Masson deal with the Orioles and Nationals. The learners, or the incoming Nats owners, really need to understand that it will never be that Nats games are on NBC Sports Washington and only Orioles games are on Masson. If that happened, it would completely derail the O's to where they might have to relocate because the Orioles market size would shrink to only the Baltimore area. 
Now, MLB could fully take over Masson and the entire regional sports network business because the RSN model is collapsing. MLB could be changing the entire local television rights landscape. It would not shock me if MLB does what Major League Soccer does in terms of local television rights without any blackouts in the near future. Anyway, I am an Orioles fan, and while I cannot stand the Angelos ownership and its mismanagement of Masson, I do support the O's in the Masson dispute, and I cannot stand the complaining from the Nationals and the D.C. media. The learners, and to some extent MLB, have been very stubborn and arrogant throughout the whole Masson process, and the learners act like they are cash poor in terms of payroll with the Nats. Really? The Nats organization has proved to spend money on high-level talent. The Nats have had high payrolls, have charged outrageous prices for tickets and parking, and won the World Series just four years ago despite complaining about the money from Masson. Clearly, the learners are getting money from somewhere, and when the Nats return to contention in 2024 or so, either the learners or a new ownership group will spend more to try to compete in the National League East. So please, enough of the complaining about the lack of television money for the Nats. Is the current television agreement unfair to the Nats? Yes, but that is the cost of business. The Nats are stuck with the Orioles on the same RSN today, tomorrow, and forever. Thank you for reading this email, and I appreciate your podcast every day. <laughs> well, thank you for that email, Yasin. I'm not sure how popular your email will be uh, with the thousands of people listening to this right now. Hey, man, look, I get the deal with Masson. I get why the Nats are upset in the Masson dispute. They, from local television revenue, which is a giant source of revenue for Major League Baseball teams, almost certainly have not gotten what the Nats should have gotten, especially considering the size of the Washington, D.C. television market and the lucrative nature of the D.C. television market. And it is ridiculous that per the Masson arrangement, the Orioles have the Nats television rights in perpetuity, okay? Uh, But I do also get the Orioles side in the Masson dispute. The deal is the deal. This is what was agreed to. If you don't like it, too bad, so sad. The entity that I've always been most angry at in the Masson dispute is MLB. You see, I'm not mad at the Nats at all. I'm actually not mad at the O's. I'm mad at MLB, specifically the then commissioner, Bud Selig. This Masson arrangement is ridiculous, that the O's have the Nats television rights in perpetuity, i.e. forever, is absurd. But Peter Angelos, as Orioles owner, did what any other owner would have done. He fought for his territory. And make no mistake, the Washington, D.C. area was Orioles territory for decades, and in a lot of ways still is Orioles territory because there still are a lot of Orioles fans in the D.C. area. I live in Montgomery County, Maryland. I see as much Orioles gear as I do Nationals gear. And so the onus was on MLB to address this entire situation. The onus was on MLB to address the lost revenue that the O's were going to have with the relocation of the Montreal Expos to Washington, D.C., without ravaging that team that now is going to be based in D.C. And MLB did not do that. MLB instead completely caved to Peter Angelos. But Peter Angelos did what any other gangster owner would have done, okay? These owners are gangsters. There's not a doubt in my mind that Ted Lerner would have done the exact same thing had the situation been reversed. And so that's why, to me, if you are a Nats fan, I get the anger at the O's. But to me, the entity to truly be mad at is MLB, specifically former commissioner 
Bud Selig. You know, Bud was big on consensus building. He wanted every vote among owners to be unanimous. And so in order to get the O's to be a yes on the Expos moving to D.C., Bud totally gave in to the O's. And the result is this Masson arrangement, as well, by the way, as a regional sports channel in Masson that isn't good, okay? Masson is run on the cheap. There is embarrassingly little Nats and O's programming beyond the team's actual games. And I actually think that this entire Masson scenario has hurt not just the Nats, but also the O's. And that's a big part of why I cannot wait for the day on which the Angelos family sells the O's. That day will be a win, and not just for the Nats. That day also very much will be a win for the O's. And the Orioles again in the win column. Yes, thank you, Joe Angel. The win column. Well, you can be in the win column by advertising on the Al Galdi podcast. Grow your business or practice and make more money, especially in this economy. Podcast advertising is very affordable, much more so than radio and television advertising and podcast advertising works. Email us, see what we can do for you. The email address is the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Well, you with our commanders can never say anything with complete certainty, but it does feel like the team's offensive coordinator search finally is ending. It was on January 10th that head coach Rod Rivera fired offensive coordinator Scott Turner. The commanders have interviewed seven candidates for the team's offensive coordinator job, and the man who appears to be the top target appears to be the final man being interviewed for the job, Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy. Will the eighth guy be the guy? We on Wednesday morning had multiple reports that the commanders are interviewing Bieniemy on Thursday in a visit to the Washington, D.C. area that was to have started on Wednesday after the Chiefs' Super Bowl championship parade and rally. Tweet from CBS Sports NFL insider Jonathan Jones on Wednesday morning, quote, two-time Super Bowl winning offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy will interview with the commanders tomorrow for their vacant OC position, source confirms. He'll get to town tonight after the Chiefs parade and is considered a strong candidate for the job if he wants it. End quote. Tweet from NFL insider Aaron Wilson of KPRC2 Houston on Wednesday morning. Quote, commanders interviewing Eric Bieniemy starting tonight as he travels to Washington this evening to begin meeting with team officials today through Thursday per team sources. Bieniemy is the leading candidate for the job. End quote. It was on Tuesday that the commanders interviewed former Baltimore Ravens, former Buffalo Bills, and former San Francisco 49ers offensive coordinator Greg Roman for the commanders offensive coordinator vacancy. By the way, NFL insider Ian Rappaport of NFL Network and NFL.com in a tweet on Wednesday morning about the enemy interviewing with the commanders noted that the commanders interview of Roman, quote, went well, end quote, and that the commanders, quote, have no other interviews scheduled, end quote. So yes, it looks like the offensive coordinator search is ending, and it appears as if Eric Bieniemy is the top target. I'm very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast, for the first time, Commander's Insider Matthew Paris of the Washington Times. You could follow Matthew on Twitter at Matthew underscore Paris. Hey, Matthew, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So should we be preparing for an official announcement from the commanders this week, maybe Friday, maybe Thursday, uh, that they have hired an offensive coordinator? 
Yeah, I think it's in the final stages. They've been waiting for one person to talk to all along. That's been Eric Bieniemy. That interview is finally taking place Thursday. If that goes well, if he is indeed their guy, then yeah, I could see an agreement as long as Bieniemy is interested as well. But if something changes and they have to go a different direction, uh, yeah, that there's still the next few days to sort something out. Uh, I think they are in their final stages. You would agree that Eric Bieniemy is the commander's top target for their offensive coordinator job? I do. Uh, it kind of tracks with what Ron Rivera has wanted. He's talked about someone who can take advantage of their different playmakers, who can kind of commit to the run. You know, uh, this is going to be a much different situation for Bieniemy. He doesn't have a top-tier quarterback like in Kansas City, but I think that might be is what might be appealing to Bieniemy is that he can kind of put his own imprint over this offense. And if they're successful, hey, it's going to be, uh, I think it would be rewarding to him. I agree. And I'm not trying to be funny, but the offensive bar with the commanders is low. So even if Eric Bieniemy only got the commander's offense to being just middle of the pack in the NFL, to being just decent, that could be enough to impress other teams to where he gets a head coaching job because Washington's overall offense in each of the last five seasons now, 2018 through 2022, has been really bad. Uh, the commanders interviewing Greg Roman on Tuesday was an at least somewhat surprising development. I mean, it was on January 19th that we learned that Roman and the Ravens had parted ways, and yet the commanders didn't interview him for their offensive coordinator job until February 14th, until Valentine's Day. Uh, is Greg Roman the commander's fallback plan if things don't work out with the enemy. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I know Pat Shermer was the name that was tossed around uh, pretty early. They spoke to him. He was their first interview. They have Ken Zampezi on staff if they want to keep Sam Howe within the same offense heading into the year two. So I do think they have some logical fallback options. I don't, it is interesting how Greg Roman has emerged kind of late in this process. You know, he, he's been unemployed for a month. Maybe he was just waiting out the market to see what there was but you know he's an intriguing name if they really want to go commit to the run but I do think their top priority is the enemy and then where everything else lands uh, I'm not sure how much convincing do you think that Ron Rivera is going to have to do with Eric Bieniemy to get him to take the commander's offensive coordinator job? I know that on the surface, Bieniemy leaving the Super Bowl champion Chiefs for the commanders makes no sense, but the deal by now is widely known. Bieniemy, despite being the Chiefs offensive coordinator, has not been calling offensive plays. Head coach Andy Reid has been doing that. Bieniemy has continued to be denied an NFL head coaching job for whatever reasons, and so perhaps leaving the Chiefs for a team for which the offense would be all his, including the play calling, can get him that head coaching job. And you know, Matthew, it seems to me that just the fact that Bienemy is taking this interview with the commanders shows that he's willing to leave the Chiefs or the commanders. Yeah, I thought Andy Reid actually made the most revealing comment of at that Monday press conference to after the Super Bowl. He pretty much said goodbye to Eric Bienemy. Yeah. Kind of hinted that the best thing for him would be to go run an operation at a different place and that, you know, unless Tampa Bay emerges, you know, you kind of, I was looking at the other teams that had vacancies around the league yesterday. And if Rivera, if what Rivera said was true, that the enemy is interested in going with a defensive minded coach. Uh, there are only two places that really lines up. One is Arizona. That's Tyler Murray. He's out for who knows until when, I don't know necessarily that plot makes 
Santa. Then Tampa Bay would be the other one. But so far, we haven't really heard the enemy connected to Tampa Bay really at all. And so, you know, Washington is kind of the last man standing. I thought it was really notable that the Ravens hired Todd Munkin yesterday. That was kind of the one spot that I was really looking at that said, okay, they, these guys actually might be serious competition uh, for the enemy. It would maybe be probably a more appealing option to be able to work with Lamar Jackson. But, you know, they moved on and hired Munkin, and that kind of, you know, the, the music is about to stop. And if the enemy wants to leave Kansas City, then Washington might be his best option. The Ravens on Tuesday morning announced the hiring of Georgia offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach Todd Munkin as Ravens offensive coordinator. The Ravens never interviewed Eric Bieniemy, despite having been considered a possibility for him. If you are the commanders, is it at all concerning that a really smart organization in the Ravens didn't even interview Bieniemy? Or not really. Uh, I think Todd Munkin's really good, personally. I, I mean, that, that's slam dunk hire. He it was really impressive those back-to-back seasons in Georgia. And then what he's done at the NFL level even is, you know, he got a lot of productivity out of Baker Mayfield. Those Buccaneers offenses back in the, uh, from a few years ago were uh, electric with Jameis Winston. So I understand hiring Munkin kind of on its own merits. And you read the statement from John Harpaw, they did 21 interviews, 14 candidates. They really did a deep dive uh, for a search. So yeah, not getting to be out of me, is maybe unfortunate for them, but their their search was pretty uh, extensive. You certainly can't deny that. Uh, as a Commanders fan, I am excited about the possibility of Eric Bieniemy being the team's offensive coordinator. Would a Commanders offense coordinated by Bieniemy truly be his show, or do you think that Ron Rivera would have a significant hand in the offense? Um. Yes and no. I mean, I think it's a head coach's job to, you know, check in with every aspect of the team. You know, we heard about Ron Rivera sitting in meet offensive meetings last season, uh, but 2021 rather. Uh, you think about kind of the, the shift of that season, in particular after the bye week. I think that was a lot of uh, Rivera influence to go to the run. So, yeah, I do think Rivera would have a, a say over how they want to play the offense, but I mean, it's just really the, the creativity and, and the play calling. And that that's what's interesting to see with the is as much of an innovator as he seems to be offensively and as creative of a mind he is being, who knows how he is uh, as a play caller. And that's kind of what, um, that's what appeals to Washington for him. But, you know, I, I think we could say that's problem. That was Scott Turner's problem. He was a good play designer, but he wasn't a good play caller. So, uh, we'll see how it goes with Bayonne. Yeah. If it happens. We're talking with Commander's Insider Matthew Paris of the Washington Times. Framing so much of the Commander's Offensive Coordinator search has been that joint season ending press conference of Ron Rivera and General Manager Martin Mayhew on January 10th, when Ron and Martin made it no secret uh, that they want a running game oriented offense. How serious is that desire, in your opinion? Uh, I think it is pretty serious. You know, you look at their backs, Brian Robinson, Antonio Gibson, that that's a steady, uh, a good pair to have. If they are actually serious about committing to the run, they're going to have to rehaul the, the offensive line. That's something they talked about. But, you know, monitoring what Rivera said out of Radio Row uh, up to the Super Bowl, he didn't necessarily backtrack off the run-centric um, offense idea, but he, he did talk a lot about kind of opening up the offense in general, more having more of a quick, short passing game. He, he cited 
the Jahan Dotson slants that he caught against Dallas and kind of opening up the offense that way and get the receivers more going in the short game to open up the vertical attack and the play action. Um, so, you know, I, I do think they want to be a, a balanced, a multiple offense, but I do think they're going to set the table a lot with the run uh, to get into that rhythm. And that's where you, you should kind of think about that. Like when you have talents like Brian Robinson and even Antonio Gibson to a lesser degree. And I mean, it, who knows if they, you know, take another look at this running back class. Apparently it's pretty strong. So maybe they add another body there. Who knows? Especially given that Antonio Gibson is going into the fourth and final season of his rookie contract, the commander spending a pick in the 2023 NFL draft on a running back would make sense. Something else that has been a part of the commander's offensive coordinator search has been Rod Rivera telling offensive coordinator candidates and then publicly confirming to us on February 8th that Sam Howell is being positioned to be the team's QB1 for the 2023 season, although Ron has made it clear that he isn't just handing Sam the starting quarterback job. He's going to have to earn that. As uh, someone who speaks Ron Rivera-ease, how set do you believe that Sam is as the team's QB1 for the 2023 season? I think they're pretty set unless how really just watches it in, in, you know, OTAs, training camp, or they find someone in the draft that, um, you know, really blows them away. I, I think this idea of having a rookie, a cheap rookie young quarterback really appeals to them from a team building standpoint where they can build out the rest of the roster by beefing up the offensive line, taking care of business. There's some of the other deals that they might have to do in terms of extending Cam Curl or Deron Payne, who, you know, who knows what they want to do there. But um, it is, uh, I'm interested to see what type of veteran they bring in um, to compete with how I think that will say a lot about kind of their intentions where they want. Like, is someone like Teddy Bridgewater too much of a threat to how, or is that a guy that can come in, can compete, and then they want someone, Rivera said that if, like, they want someone to be able to support how, and the way I took that was if they lose the job, they're not going to sulk. They're going to be all in and, and help his development. So, yeah, I, I do think it is they are trending toward how, but I don't know how necessarily much that is. It, it seems weird that Rivera wants to do that going into a, a really pivotal year for him personally, but I do think it kind of makes sense given that they've, they've tried so many other avenues to find a quarterback. <laughs> that they have. Uh, I've been thinking that Rod Rivera going with Sam Howell as the team's QB1 for the 2023 season does perhaps lower the bar for Ron with new ownership in that if the team next season is just pretty good and Sam is pretty good and Sam shows improvement as the season goes on, then maybe all of that compels new ownership to stick with Ron beyond the 2023 season. Who knows? Uh, the 180 is impossible to ignore. Ron going from initially not even wanting to start Sam and what ended up being his good NFL regular season debut in the Commander's season-ending win over the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field on January 8th, to then Ron just days later telling offensive coordinator candidates that Sam is being positioned to be the team's QB1 for the 2023 season. What do you make of that lightning-quick 180 by Ron? Yeah, I think Howell's performance against Dallas uh, had a lot to do with it. And Rivera's kind of impressionable in that the results kind of speak for themselves. 
to him and how did impress in, in that game. And so, you know, I, Maybe that was a little bit overblown locally. I mean, you look at the final stat line, it wasn't the, the best thing in the world. But, uh, you know, he did have his moments. The, that big throw down to Terry McLaurin down the sideline, the way he was able to create, um, you know, plays with his legs. It, I think how the fits a lot of what Rivera likes to do offensively. And it makes sense to me why they're kind of giving him a chance. I'm actually excited for Sam Howell to be the commander's starting quarterback for the 2023 season. He does have a big arm. He is a legitimate run threat. One of the things that has struck me with the Philadelphia Eagles' great success with Jalen Hurts at quarterback is the extent to which the Eagles went all in on an offense best suited for Hurts' skills. I actually would love to see the commanders do that with Sam. And I'm not saying that Sam Howell is Jalen Hurts, but I do in Sam see a skill set that can be exploited. How do you view Sam's potential as an NFL quarterback? I honestly probably need to see more before, uh, you know, the, the Jalen Hurts category. I mean, I, I also think it's a credit to Jalen Hurts, given how I think we, like we, the NFL community, viewed him maybe going into the season versus, um, you know, by the end of the season, he really took a, a dramatic step. So, you know, Hal isn't quite there yet. I do think there are aspects of Hal's game that really need serious development. You know, his footwork, as much as he can improvise, um, uh, you know, in training camp, it was uh, a bit of a mess. Uh, you know, they were getting pressure. Um, they really wanted to see that improve as the year went on. They said it's improved. I thought it looked okay against Dallas. Um but, you know, there, there are, he, he is a young quarterback, so he's going to need to improve. But I, I do think there is potential. And, you know, th- this was a guy that was at one time a, a top five selection or thought to be a, a first-round quarterback, and he fell uh, after his junior year. Of course, looming over everything with the commanders is the sale of the team. I have thought, I think that most people have thought, that the timeline of the sale is such that the timeline essentially disallows new ownership firing Ron Rivera this offseason. But then we had Denver Broncos head coach Sean Payton this past Friday morning revealing that potential commanders ownership groups contacted him about possibly becoming the team's head coach. He said this to Adam Shine on Mad Dog Sports Radio on Sirius XM. Do you think that it's plausible that new commander's ownership would fire Ron this offseason, even if the sale doesn't happen until, say, late March or April? Yeah, I would be shocked. I mean, I, I can't think of any other scenario where that has happened. You know, that would take something, I think, pretty historic. As much as owners like to come in and have their imprint right away and make a big shakeup, you think of what happened with Phoenix recently with Matt Ishiba or Shiba and them training for Kevin Durant. That's an example of an owner trying to make a splash right away. You don't really see that too much on the management executive side. You know, Ron Rivera is kind of the face of the commander's operation. They have that coach centric approach where he's has say over personnel matters. So, you know, you saw it in Carolina, David Tepper gave Ron Rivera a year, uh, right? Yeah, 2018, and then he was fired into 2019. But going into 2019, he got another season. So, you know, I, I think I would expect a new owner to give him some time. But I, I think Sean Payton was a little bit different just because of the allure of Sean Payton. There's no other Sean Payton sitting out there. What are you going to get Bill Cowher out of retirement or 
going to John Gruden. Like, there's just there's just no one that makes sense. Sean Payton, I think, was a little bit of a different circumstance. One more for you. Ron Rivera in making his media rounds on February 8th, so publicly dangling that fifth-year option in the rookie contract of edge defender Chase Young, saying that no decision has been made on the option, saying that not exercising the option could serve as motivation for Chase. Uh, The commanders have until the week after the 2023 NFL draft to exercise that option. What'd you think of the way that Ron publicly addressed the fifth-year option for Chase Young, and what do you think that Ron is going to do with that fifth-year option? I thought it was interesting. I understood where he was coming from and trying to have that motivation out there for Young to try and get him more. Like I think Chase Young is motivated, but I think they saw what happened with Deron Payne. They picked up Deron Payne's fifth-year option, though, critically, and maybe they want to do that there. But are you... I kind of just think of it from the practical standpoint of view. If you don't pick up Chase Young's option, that means you have, if they let's say they tag Deron Payne, they're going to have Deron Payne, Montez Sweat, and Chase Young all in the final years of their contracts. But that doesn't make sense. So I would expect them to, to pick up that option. But, I mean, look, the guy has one and a half sacks over the last two years of football and has had a serious knee injury, and he, the fifth-year option is $17 million. That's nothing to sneeze at. So, I mean, that would be the downside of not doing it. I mean, that would be the why you wouldn't do it because of the injury history and the lack of production. But it's also Chase Young, your number two overall pick, and you can retain him for uh, another season after this. So, yeah, I would, I would bet they pick it up still. I agree. And that's a really good point about how the commanders not exercising Chase Young's fifth-year option it could make for Chase Edge defender Montez Sweat and interior defensive lineman Deron Payne, if he's franchise tagged this offseason, all being in contract seasons in the 2023 season. Commander's insider Matthew Paris of the Washington Times. Matthew, thanks a lot and all the best. Thank you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Well, Jan Wednesday had the first workout for pitchers and catchers at 2023 National Spring Training in West Palm Beach, Florida. Spring training, of course, is a time for optimism for a Major League Baseball team. Hope springs eternal each spring training. Uh, But for the Nats, this day of the first workout for pitchers and catchers at spring training was not exactly oozing with optimism. First of all, we have the Nats as a rebuilding team coming off a horrendous 2022 regular season in which they were a major league worst 55 and 107 with a major league worst run differential of minus 252. Second of all, we have the Nats founding principal owner Ted Lerner having just died at the age of 97. And third of all, we now have more bad news regarding Nats starting pitcher Steven Strasburg. Uh, Nats manager Davey Martinez in a press conference on Wednesday afternoon revealed that Steven Strasburg has been shut down due to a recurrence of nerve pain. And it's not just that. The recurrence happened of just a second bullpen session. So the guy couldn't even make it through two bullpen sessions without a problem. You know, Strasburg, as of Wednesday, wasn't even in Florida for Nat spring training. He was not listed among the 34 healthy pitchers in spring training workout groups. Here was Davey Martinez with reporters in a press conference on Wednesday afternoon. What's, what's Steven's status right now? So Steven was, you know, if anybody worked hard, you know, Steven worked his butt off. I mean, he really did this whole winter. He got to he got to the point where he was throwing bullpen and um and he had a minor setback. So um he's staying back in DC. Um the, you know, right now there's no timetable. He's gonna stay back there, he's gonna rehab, and then uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. But man, you know, this guy, uh he's 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 put the time in, that's for sure. And and you know, I know, you know, in his heart he wants to pitch. Uh, and I can't wait till the day that you know if he does pitch that he's going to come back and pitch for us. And I know the fans want to see him pitch again. But um, at this point, we just you know it's just you know health related. And it's it's the same thing. It's the nerve um, that's bothering him. So um, you know I know he's going to get checked out by some doctors again. So you know we'll see. Um, but you know for now, right now, he's not going to be with us. He was, he was sorry. He was throwing up in DC. Yeah. 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 So I don't. I couldn't give you a specific uh, date, but I know it was after bullpen. Yeah. So he, he never came out here. No. No. Um, have you talked? Sure, you have talked. But what's kind of the message? I know it's. Hey, look, you know. Surgery, but. Yeah, I. You know, I, I know how hard he's worked. I mean, and it's nothing. And I tell him, hey, you put you you put every effort to come. You know, the spring training. I know that. You know, and I know how hard you work. So. Um, you know, you just gotta, you know, hopefully, you know, stick to the process and, you know, go get checked out and see, see what, you know, see what's going on. I mean, that's, that's all he can do right now. Just to clarify, has him being in camp at all coming down here been ruled out completely like the duration of camp or just for now? I'm, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put any kind of timetable when he could come or when he not. I mean, I, like I said, I just, you know, for right now, uh, it's about Steven, you know, and trying, trying to make sure that, you know, that he's able to come back if, if he can, you know, I mean, it's, it's tough. Like I said, he's endured and that guy's endured a lot. And I know, uh, like I said, he's worked hard all winter long and was, you know, rehabbing every single 
day, almost six days a week. You know, so he, he put the time in. Was, uh, was that the one first time that he tried to throw a bullpen, or had he been able to do it? He threw uh, he threw one bullpen. It went really well. He, and I know he's he trying to throw. He went to throw a second bullpen, um, and 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 uh, after the second bullpen, he he the next day he he just didn't rebound as as he thought he would. All right, so there you go. I have felt for a long time now that Steven Strasburg is done. And I feel that way even more now. And really, the only thing that is left is him recognizing that he's done. Uh, What has happened with Strasburg is sad. This is not his fault, but this is undeniable. It was in December 2019 that the Nats re-signed Strasburg to a seven-year, $245 million contract off him having been the 2019 World Series MVP. Strasburg in the 2020 regular season made just two starts. He on August 26, 2020 underwent surgery to alleviate carpal tunnel neuritis in his right hand. Strasburg in the 2021 regular season made just five starts. He on July 28, 2021 underwent surgery to address neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome, aka TOS, which has been a career destroyer for pitchers. Strasburg in the 2022 regular season made just one major league start. He had a 7-4 loss at the Miami Marlins on June 9th, 2022, and his 2022 major league debut allowed seven runs in four and two-thirds innings, and that ended up being it. The Nats last June 14th put Strasburg on the 15-day injured list retroactive to June 11th with a stress reaction of the ribs. And the Nats last July 14th transferred Strasburg to the 60-day injured list. He cannot stay healthy. His body is failing him. This thoracic outlet syndrome has ruined him as a major league pitcher. Uh, This season would be Strasburg's age 34 season and just the fourth season of that seven-year $245 million contract. Yeah, we are only three years into that seven-year $245 million albatross. I would think that this season is it. Either Strasburg makes real progress this season or he retires, and he and the Nats reach some sort of a buyout with that contract. Neither he nor the team can keep doing this season after season, him trying and failing to stay healthy. The Nats paying him all of this money not to pitch. This is not working. And again, this is not Steven Strasburg's fault. I mean, nobody should be shedding any tears for the guy, okay? He's making money that most people can only dream of. But this can't be easy for him with his body failing him as it is and with him perhaps feeling like he's failing the team. Uh, so yeah, hope springs eternal. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, not for Steven Strasburg. Let's talk college basketball. We on Wednesday night had road games for both Virginia and Virginia Tech. The Cavaliers won. The Hokies did not win. Uh, number seven Virginia improved to twenty and four overall and twelve and three in the ACC with a sixty-one fifty-eight win at Louisville on Wednesday night. Uh, This was your classic, not-so-pretty, grinded-out conference road win deep in the regular season. Louisville is not good. Uh, The Cardinals now are 1-14. and 
in the ACC. So that this game was as close as it was, was disappointing for the Cavs, but they did win. Uh, The Cavs won for a 10th time in 11 games. The Cavs notched their 11th 20 win season in 14 seasons with Tony Bennett as head coach. And understand that one of those non 20 win seasons was the COVID impacted 2020 2021 season in which UVA was the ACC regular season champion. Uh, The Wahoos on Wednesday night overcame a nine point first half deficit. They won despite some really bad offense. The Hoos went just 6 of 18 on threes and just 9 of 16 on free throws, including going just 5 of 10 on free throws in the second half. The Hoos, in fact, did not have a single made field goal over the final three minutes, six seconds of the game. Uh, Although the Hoos did go 17 to 34 on twos and did finish with 15 assists versus six turnovers. Uh, Defensively, UVA was good enough. Uh, It allowed Louisville to go 8-20 on threes, but also held Louisville to just 13-30 of on twos. Kihei Clark, a milestone game for him, 30 minutes, 59 seconds as a starter. He went one of one on threes, just four of 10 on twos, and just three of five on free throws. But he finished with 14 points, six assists versus one turnover, and four rebounds. Uh, Kihei passed Duke's Shane Battier, as the ACC's all-time winningest player with 71 ACC regular season and tournament wins. Uh, Second recent milestone for Kihei Clark. He and the Who's 67-62 win at Syracuse on January 30th past Duke's Kyle Singler for first on the ACC's career minutes played list. Uh, This season is Kihei's fifth collegiate season. He's a graduate student point guard for the Who's. Also on Wednesday night, another good game for Armand Franklin. 30 minutes, 48 seconds as a starter. One of two on threes, four of six on twos, and three of four on free throws. He finished with 14 points, five rebounds, three assists, versus one turnover and two steals. Not a pretty win, but a win. Here was UVA head coach Tony Bennett during his postgame press conference on Wednesday night. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we made some timely baskets, had a good stretch at the end of the first half, and um, Louisville is improving. They, they went to Miami and, and gave Miami everything they could handle, and, um, you know, at this stage, I thought we had stretches of good defense, but, um, you know, we're not a team that just separates all the time. We missed some front ends of bonuses, missed a couple uh, of close ones that perhaps could have made that a little uh, more comfortable at the end. I think we were up 10 with five. But again, good defensive stay in the last possession. And everybody said, well, why didn't they? But I thought our guys covered for each other and guarded that three-point line well. So again, it's, um, you know, it's it's what it is at this stage. So you just have to my dad said it's time. He said he said it's steel-toed boots and hard hats this time of year. He said that's that's what it is, and you have to have that mindset. Um, but you got to be clear on you know your identity as a team. I thought Kihei hit some big big had a good stretch in the second half, and then Armand was real aggressive and just enough timely plays and was enough to be successful. Yeah, next up for Virginia, home to Notre Dame this Saturday at noon. As for Virginia Tech, it fell to 15-11 and 11 overall and 5-10 and 10 in the ACC with a 77-70 loss at Georgia Tech on Wednesday night. A very bad loss for the Hokies. Georgia Tech, with this win, improved to just 3-13 and 13 in the ACC. The Hokies in this game trailed for the entire second half, during which They were down by as many as 16 points. Uh, Like I said, very bad loss 
for the Hokies. Major discrepancies in three-point shooting and free-throw attempts. The Hokies went just a 6 of 23 on threes and allowed Georgia Tech to go 11 of 22 on threes. And the Hokies totaled a mere 8 free-throw attempts to Georgia Tech's 26, although neither team was good on free-throws. The Hokies went just 4 of 8 on free-throws. Georgia Tech went just 14 of 26 on free-throws. Virginia Tech did get a productive game from Wright State graduate student transfer Grant Facili. Now, he did not score exactly 33 points for the first time in three games, but he did have a team-high 21 points for the Hokies. Uh, He, in 34 minutes as a starter, did go just one of four on threes, but he also went nine of 17 on twos. He finished with 21 points, seven rebounds, including five offensive boards and two blocks. Also, Justin Mutz for a second consecutive game nearly had a triple-double, 38 minutes as a starter. He did go 0 of 2 on threes and just 1 of 4 on free throws, but he also went 8 of 14 on twos, and he finished with 17 points, 11 rebounds, including four offensive boards, nine assists versus three turnovers and three steals. Next up for Virginia Tech, home to Pitt this Saturday evening at 5. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 510. We'll provide you with more on the commanders. Could it be, might it be, that we have a new commander's offensive coordinator to discuss. Also, we'll talk Capitals, Wizards, and Maryland basketball. The Caps are home to the Florida Panthers Thursday night at 7. The Wizards are at the Minnesota Timberwolves Thursday night at 8. And the Terrapins are home to number 3, Purdue. Thursday evening at 6.30. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday. And the Orioles again in the win column. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com